Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Happy New Year, everybody. You've tuned into Pop Life, a, a look at pop culture. Very excited to be back. Brand new year, 2014. Thank you all for coming aboard. And uh, we have got so much to talk about tonight. Before I get into that, be sure to go over to Facebook. TKRS presents Pop Life. That's on Facebook. Go over there and like us. If you're a little shy about getting on the phone, you can go there and, and spout out your opinion on our Facebook page. If you want to give us a call, 347-838-9815 is the number to call. But like I said, we got TV, movie, music, a whole bunch, a slew, even sports is going to be on this show. So let's get underway. First, as always, Todd is in studio. Todd, how are you doing? Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year, Ken. Oh, it's great to be back, and like Ken said, we have so much to talk about. There's been so much going on in, across all of the uh, pop culture horizon, and uh, I can't wait to get into it. But, uh, Ken, how was your uh, New Year? How was your holiday? Oh, it was great, man. You know, it, it's funny because as we do this show, and we are, you know, the show was kind of born out of our love for pop culture, and, uh, you know, we, we talk about it when we get together, and it's like, hey, we, we should just hang out on the mic and, and have these conversations. And, uh, as, you know, as, as the history of my life has gone, a lot of my gifts uh, were uh, inspired by my love of pop culture. But I guess, you know, you guys out there, if you're a Star Wars fan, as, as you know, I, I don't trust you if you're not. So everyone out there should be a Star Wars fan. One of the gifts I got for Christmas is uh, this thing called Frames. Uh, it's a, I think it's called Star Wars Frames, but it's these two volumes, uh, one for each trilogy, where, where George Lucas actually went through all six movies, had a team go through basically frame by frame, and, and picked out the best single frame shots out of all six movies. They're, they're full color pictures. They, they, you know, the packaging is just unbelievable. They're hardcover. Uh, and it, it there, I mean, it's a work of art and I'm just really, that's actually maybe my favorite gift. Uh, I was really excited to thumb through that. I still got to pour into it and get more into the book, but, uh, if you're a star Wars fan, it's one of those things like a must have to your collection. It's amazing though. Cause George Lucas just like continues to get me to, to spend money on, you know, Hey, I'm releasing something new. I gotta have it. 
He the, never stops. It never stops between the new versions of the movies, the memorabilia, everything. And I just saw about a dozen pages of it before we signed on. It, it's outstanding. And it sounds like the people who are in your life now really know you, know what's going to make you happy. That was just terrific. I mean, it, it, amazing images. And, you know, there's so many scenes from those movies you know, burned into our brains. But uh, these are like the epitome of each scene, of each shot you can think of. George Lucas went out and got the best frame. Really a beautiful set, too. And I like the packaging, too. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And it's, you know, some of the things, like, they're very obvious shots from the movies, but some of them are shots that maybe you wouldn't think of that are just really, really phenomenal. I mean, I, you know, it's not cheap, and I don't know if I could have gone out and bought it myself, but uh, luckily my family knows me. So, but, but if you can, check it out, Star Wars Frames, uh, for any Star Wars fan. It, it's, it's kind of a must-have. Um, I was excited to get that, but it was a great holiday season. I got spoiled by, by family and friends and what have you, but how, how was your holiday season? Anything good? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we, uh, we celebrated even before our last show. Uh, I, we had our Hanukkah parties, and um, I got uh, a contribution from everybody in the family so that I could go out and finally upgrade from my old iPhone 4, uh, not even 4S, my no Siri on my phone, I'm going to go out and get the uh, 5S, and uh, I'm excited to do that. I haven't made the switch yet, but, um, you know, I I used to have, I believe it was called a Samsung Rogue, and it looked like a smartphone, but it was kind of like a half-stupid phone. <laughs> um, it, it sort of mimicked the, so when I finally upgraded a couple of years ago, I got addicted to it, and, uh, you know, there are some apps that I can't live without. I know I mentioned uh, in our first show, I'm a Words with Friends guy. But there's some uh, pop culture apps, you know, relative to this show that I really love. And one I rely on every time we talk about TV is uh, the TV show tracker app. And if you love television, if you have shows you can't miss, I recommend this app. Uh, it's basically you take any show that you watch on a regular basis, put it into this app, and it tells you when upcoming episodes are on, all of the past episodes by title, uh, it tells you what's upcoming, and you can track what you've seen and what you haven't. So it tells you how many episodes you have to catch up on. You know what they are. Uh, so that's been really useful, both in my life, because I am a TV junkie, and here on the show. Uh, I don't know if I showed it to you. Or do you have anything like that uh, on your phone, anything you rely on? I, I don't really. You know, it's funny, because as much as I, I'm I, I'm so obviously into pop culture and, t- and TV, I, I, I just love TV. TV's my my friend. TV's TV's always been there for me on some level. I feel like I was raised on TV, um, but yeah, I don't it, I don't use apps like that. So that this is actually pretty useful to hear about these. I, I generally, it's funny. Most of the apps I use are are like you know the obvious like timers and calculators, and I right. use I use a mess of like workout apps. Okay. Um, but. It's funny, like you just kind of get your brain focused in one area, but like I, I got to go and check these out because uh, I do watch a lot of TV, and as we we've talked about on on previous shows, uh, a lot more TV because there's a lot of really good scripted TV. It sounds like a great app. You know, there's there's one I think I've seen. Have you used the IMDb app at least? No, I use the website, but okay. I haven't used the app. The website, as we all know, probably we all know if you're listening to this show, is terrific. What I love about the app is that a lot of times you go to a mobile site or an app and it's just a, a dumbed-down version of what you normally see. The IMDb app is so terrific. It's so well-designed. The way you can scroll through, if you're on an actor page, you can scroll through their 
their shows, well, their movies. If you're on a movie page, you can scroll through who's been in it. It's just set up very well. The other one that I'm totally addicted to now is called Movie Pop. If anyone here has played Song Pop in the past, well, this is Song Pop for movies. And uh, basically, it's like name that tune, five movie clips as quickly as you can, guess the movie, and I can't get enough. I have some people that I don't know that I play. I have some friends that I've been playing. And uh, so when I upgraded, I said, those are the, my first downloads on the uh, on the new iPhone. That's tremendous. I mean, that's cool, you know, that your family kind of pitched in. And it, it's, I think it's pretty amazing, like, for, for both of us, you know, it's, you know, gifts haven't changed that much as far as, like, the genre. You know, it's it's like TV's your hobby, and, and it might be, like, technologically more advanced at this point. Right. But but it's still like, you know, you could have gotten a gift in this genre like 30 years ago. When I was a kid, if I could have designed, if I could have made up these things that I'm getting, <laughs> there that would be them. You know, something that would keep track of all my TV watching, absolutely. Um, but yeah, you know, our, we're, we're guys. We like our toys, and we like our pop culture. So, you know, do you, anything else uh, pop culture related on yeah, your Yeah, you know, and it's funny, as, as we look back to like our, our you know, the history, the history of my life. Um, I, you know, it's. I remember as a kid, very young, loving watching reruns of the old Batman series with, oh, with Adam West and Burt Ward. The best. Um, love it. Love. I mean, I think I still think that show is brilliant because as a kid, it's a superhero, and then as you get older, it's a comedy. Right. Um, but I remember watching that. I, I got into at least the first one with uh, in 1989 with Michael Keaton. I thought that that first movie at least was really good. It, it kind of went downhill from from there. Loved every probably every animated incarnation of, of Batman. And I, here I am in my 40s, and for Christmas I get a Batman watch. All right. And I don't know how many over the years how many Batman watches I've probably gone through and broken, but I've I've had Batman watches over the years, and I also got a, I got a Batman tie clip. So. Outstanding. That's a funny uh, conflagration of worlds. I think I made up a word there, but I yeah, like I mean, it, bro. <laughs> you know, it's the professional world meeting your love, your you know childhood love, Batman, and uh, you know here it is again, and and here it is again for real, actually, because another Batman TV series is about to uh, hit the airwaves. Uh, you know, the movies they just stopped. He's gonna invade another superhero movie, and then we have this TV show Gotham coming. Um, and I just read some, I don't know if it's new news or some changes, but initially, uh, this was going to be a show about young commissioner Gordon, which sounded very interesting to me. And I thought it was, um, you know, kind of playing off of the Batman, uh, brand, but going with something that was different. Uh, you know, we weren't going to see the Cape Crusader, but now I, I read, I read that. It's going to involve also a young Bruce Wayne, and it's going to include some of the villains and maybe some origin stories. What do you think about that? Being a big Batman fan, I, I think it's tremendous. I, you know, from what I'm hearing, that we're going to get some some uh, you know classic villains and their origins. Um, I think there's going to be a heavy dose of, of a young Commissioner Gordon and, and him coming up. So I think there's it, it's what I like about it is there's a lot. Batman is very complex, and Commissioner Gordon is a very complex character that obviously is a supporting character that doesn't get delved into often in different forms of media. Um, I think this could be very interesting if it's done the right way. The, the problem that you see out of this is as, as things keep evolving, and, and comic books, you know, 
we're entering a, a world, or we're well into a, a, a world right now where comic books are marketable. These heroes are marketable. They're, they're all over the place. DC uh, seems to be right now paying, playing catch-up to Marvel, but there's TV series. There's obviously still the comic books. There's movies. There's everything out there. Um, I think this has got a lot of potential. You just hope it doesn't go down the road Smallville went down. Smallville was tremendous. It was a tremendous show, coming of age. How does a high school Kryptonian on Earth deal with who he is and who he might be? And it was a great coming of age story, and it got so convoluted by the last few seasons, it just kind of got ridiculous. I'm hoping that this series does concentrate more on the Gotham Police Force, on, on a young Commissioner Gordon, the origins of these villains, and then every so often we see the evolution of a young Bruce Wayne. So, and then in the end, as Bruce Wayne is getting older, he dons the cowl very late in the run of the series. I, I think that would work. What I don't want to see is, you know, silly things like with, with Smallville when all of a sudden, you know, Lois Lane is in Smallville. Like, and you're kind of just completely contradicting the legend. You know, Superman and Clark Kent and Lex Luthor are hanging out on a regular basis. So how would he, how would Lex Luthor not know his secret identity down the road a piece? Right. The fanboys are, are not going to go for some of these changes. You can take certain kind of creative license, but there are some changes you just can't make. And, you know, I watched Smallville at the very beginning. It was great. Well, I gave up on it in the first season, probably before it became as great as you're saying, when it was really just uh, every week. It seemed like there was, they, they were finding kryptonite. Someone somewhere was being affected by it, and I, I kind of gave up on it early, and then I missed out on, on the run from seasons one half through the end. <laughs> um, but I, I see why um, the, the Gotham show would want to not just focus on Commissioner Gordon, but go into, I mean, look at the Smallville model, which worked, they had Lex Luthor in the show, and you obviously it was about uh, young Clark Kent, but it would have been a very interesting show without the villains, without young Bruce Wayne. The thing is, I understand that if you want viewers, if you want to make money, if you want to last for a long time, you've got to include these things. I'm sure it would have come into play, even if they hadn't made the announcement now, uh, some point down the road. But I still look forward to it, but it would have been interesting if they completely ignored uh, Bruce Wayne. I don't know in the comics, and again, this is probably something you know, or maybe something you know. Definitely I don't. Was there any relationship between Commissioner Gordon and young Bruce Wayne in the Batman canon? Uh, I mean, a certain relationship, not not a, a... You know, there's so many different incarnations and there's always tellings and retellings, but as much as the Wayne family was a, a prominent... Uh, known family in Gotham City okay. that everyone knew the, the Wayne family and when the when Bruce's parents were murdered uh, you know it, it shook the city so okay. you know everyone knew young Bruce because um, you know because of the high profile of, of the murder I, I believe in certain tellings of the story uh, uh, young Commissioner Gordon is actually at the scene of the crime uh, consoling in, uh, a young Bruce Wayne. Um, so, in fact, I think that was in the movies. 
So depending on the, on the telling of the story, like way back when, I don't think Commissioner Gordon was actually there, but I think in certain retellings, he was actually at the crime scene oh, okay. escorting a young Bruce Wayne to the, the police precinct. So there's a relationship you, you can explore there, and you can enhance it. It's just when you, you tackle these characters, you've got to be careful with you know, changing major things because then you, kind of, you alienate the hardcore fans. What I'd really like to see out of this is they completely, the one thing that, that I do have a gripe with, and I said, you know, the 1989 Batman movie, I enjoyed. Dark for its time. Right, at the time. It now was, it doesn't seem that way. No, at the time, we said, oh my God, what, this is really dark, and this Joker is really intense uh, until, you know. Until we, the new one. Right. Yeah. But, but that, that origin for the Joker is completely from the movie it's, it's completely different so i would really you know love to see you know kind of the killing joke origin of the joker really come to life uh in in live action uh juxtaposed you know with like bruce wayne coming of age uh, that could be a very cool if, if done the right way because it's certainly like in the killing joke that comic book they really kind of illustrate the similarities between the joker and batman and how Batman had one bad day and kind of snapped. Uh, to, you know, Batman on some levels is kind of a psychotic. Right. Joker the same way. In, in the origins of The Killing Joke, he snapped and, and became the Joker. Uh, you know, that could make for very interesting TV. It's just a question of, you know, do they really go out of their way to write compelling, dramatic television, or do they cop out and realize, well, certain characters are going to sell throw them into the episode, and who cares if the writing's good or not? Well, it's interesting. You know, you, you went right to uh, the Joker, and that makes sense. The article I read, there was a quote from someone behind the show, and he mentioned we will see the origins of certain villains, including some iconic villains, and he mentioned the Riddler, the Penguin, and Catwoman, which, you know, as far as the casual fan at least goes, that's three of the big four. But it's not number one. And he specifically didn't mention the Joker in this in this article. I don't know if there's a reason behind it. I don't know if it's of any kind of respect to the new movies and what they did with the Joker. Or it's just a tease. And, of course, they're going to hit the Joker because how could you not? But I found that interesting because it, it jumped out at me. Wait a minute. You, you're mentioning iconic villains and not the Joker? So, uh, you know, we'll have to see what, what they do with that. I mean, I'm still excited about it. I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic. And, I, you know, honestly... I hope they just they just don't blow their load. You know what I mean? Like I hope, like they're mentioning those villains. I hope they don't they didn't mention the Joker because at at, at the earliest they're thinking season five we'll start talking about like the origins of the Joker. You know what I mean? Like right, I don't want right. to see them. Like when I hear an article like that, it almost worries me because I don't want to see season one them coming out with the origins for like all these major villains. Like let's have a couple of like. Look, I mean, the, the origins, and again, they changed in the 89 movie, but the origins of Batman, you know, his parents were just killed by some two-bit criminal. Just, just a guy who was, who was just robbing a rich couple. It wasn't a, a high-profile villain. It wasn't a high-profile hit. The whole point of it was the randomness of street violence. Right. So I would want to see some quote-unquote normal criminals uh, before we actually delve into you know, all these other major bad guys. I mean, you know, if you want to make a splash in the premiere, maybe you hit one of the big ones early on. 
But I, I would like to see some substantial writing in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, get some other, like, you know, maybe lesser-known villains in Gotham and kind of sporadically hit the big ones. You don't want to see Bruce Wayne sharing a table at Gotham Middle School uh, <laughs> with, with Selena Kyle. and <laughs> Exactly. You don't want to see that. I do not want to see that. Okay. But it's, it's interesting because, as you know, as a Batman fan, and I absolutely love the last trilogy. I, I love – I mean, I am someone that I can trace back my origin to the Batman fan <laughs> – Till at least three years old. I don't know if I can go back before that, but I've been a fan since at least three years old. So okay. I'm, I'm coming close to my 40th anniversary of being a Batman fan. All right, congratulations. But, you know, it's it, when I look at, like, that trilogy, to me, it, it might be the greatest superhero trilogy Ever and I don't know if anything even comes close. No, I agree. It has to be at this point. Um, you know, there aren't that many trilogies, and uh, of the ones, even of just any single movie, any pair of movies, any sequence of movies. No, absolutely, that's the best we've got right now. We'll see what happens if you take, you know, three Avengers films together going down the road. Who knows? Uh, but I agree with you 100. percent yeah, and I think it's going to be tough to top. I, and I love, I mean, you have brilliant performances, tremendous casting. Even like, you know, everyone looks at Heath Ledger as like such a tremendous performance, but you pull back, like Michael Caine as, as Alfred was, was phenomenal. You know, it's like those subtle, and Morgan Freeman was great. Like, there was just great casting, great writing. And you come out of that trilogy, and now, you know, and, and I'm one of the people. The biggest controversy probably in comic bookdom right now, you said, Ben Affleck, right. coming out, again, greatest, not hyperbole, greatest comic book movie trilogy in history, they recast not too long after this trilogy is over. From a terrific actor. To, to Ben Affleck, and that, that has, and I liked Man of Steel a lot. I thought Man of Steel like, was a really good movie. Nostalgia tells me that Superman 2 is the best Superman movie ever, but if I was being honest with myself, you could make the case that Man of Steel is the best Superman movie ever made. I thought they did a really good job with it. I was optimistic when, you know, they're making the sequel. The Ben Affleck casting has is, is really got me nervous about this movie. You know, we can all take solace in the fact that we were pretty much Every comic book fan was nervous about the casting of every single Batman ever. I mean, starting with Michael Keaton, who no one thought would be a good Batman. Uh, I mean, we might have hit a couple in that that series that weren't great, but I don't know if everyone was on board with Christian Bale. And so who knows? We know we have someone who respects the material. He's a, a comic book fan. He's a Batman fan. He's a good actor. Um... He'll look good under the cow. It's just a matter of can he pull off the, the weight of the role. And I am, as you said earlier with Gotham, cautiously optimistic. I, I hope it'll be good, and I'm always going to you know, go in there with an open mind, and hopefully you know, he'll do a good job. Because we're looking at, you know, he's in there not just carrying a movie, but Superman's in it, Wonder Woman is in it as well. I don't even know what they're doing with that. So hopefully uh, you know, he'll fit in. Yeah, I mean, the, the the major problem I guess I have, you're right, and I was I was nervous when Michael Keaton, he was like, oh my God, Mr. Mom is going to be Batman. Right, right. But I remember going, because I take this stuff seriously, <laughs> I remember after he was cast, I went and grabbed the movie Clean and Sober, and I saw that, and I was like, you know what, 
He can do drama. He was pretty good in that. And I was like, I was cautiously optimistic. Christian Bale, I always liked. Um, I, I thought he'd be good. Going back to the other series, um, Val Kilmer. I, I guess I was I was kind of down the middle with him. Um, I was not optimistic with George Clooney, and that panned out because that movie was right. terrible. Although I thought he made a good Bruce Wayne. He was a good Bruce Wayne. The movie was not good, but he fit in. And he fit in with the tone of that movie very well, I think. Yeah, but they put nipples on the costumes, and I just say I can't respect that at all. But anyway, well, I, I, I digress. I enjoyed that movie immensely more because of the nipples on the costumes. <laughs> But see, my biggest problem with Ben Affleck, again, trying, trying, because I really do, I try to be optimistic, is the fact that he's been in a comic book movie before. And to be honest, when you watch Daredevil, and it's not a very good movie, the problem that I have with Ben Affleck is that, to me, Daredevil's not a good movie because of Ben Affleck. Okay. I think that Colin Farrell does a good job. As Bullseye, I thought Michael Clark Duncan did a great job as Kingpin. Absolutely. So I, I thought those guys really worked in their roles. The, the movie as a whole was eh, but I thought the movie really kind of dropped the ball. And like Ben Affleck was the, the weak point of the movie, and that's really what I find disconcerting about him playing Batman is that he's played an iconic comic book hero already, and he kind of failed at it. So... I'm hoping, I'm hoping that like we're, we're getting uh, an an Argo Ben Affleck instead right. of a Daredevil Ben Affleck, but it, it is kind of disconcerting. And as you keep saying, like you know, how big or small a part is Batman going to have when it seems like every day they're adding another hero? Right. You know, it's um, hopefully, like you said, we're getting that Argo Ben Affleck because he has matured as an actor. It's been a while since Daredevil, and what he's done lately has been uh, much better. So. Hopefully, you know he will uh, he will bring that maturity to to the new movie. Yeah, I mean the show, you know, and it's amazing. I mean, we do this show, and you know, the last time we do the show, and we did it sixty minutes, and we're like, you know, all right, like, what do we want to talk about? And we're researching. Oh, we should hit this. We should hit this. We're getting together for this show, the first show of 2014, and it's unbelievable. Like all of a sudden, there's all this stuff that we want to hit, and we're like, we should just go to ninety. And, you know, what we can hit, and it's like we're hitting like Batman and the movies and, and the TV and everything. And, you know, as we talk about TV and how and our love of TV, all of a sudden we are entering a, a time where can TV or would TV be on the cusp or the verge of evolving and changing into something else entirely? And, you know, it's, it's rare because you usually see things over time evolve. And it's rare to me, at least, that you can point your finger and say, well, that might be the, that's the moment that things change. Major, major press conference last week, the WWE, and everyone knows they do a wrestling show, but sometimes the worlds kind of bleed into each other, and wrestling and pop culture kind of mesh together. And the WWE has a press conference about their new network that's going to be launching February 24th. And as far as, look, technology aside, and we don't know if it's going to work, and that's the major if, you know, if this is all going to roll out without a hitch. But if it does work, this could really, and I don't think we're exaggerating, could change the face of television. Well, wait, because, and you, you mentioned the WWE Network. Now, I also, I 
watch wrestling. I started watching it with my kids again a couple of years ago. I had been a big fan when I was younger. I heard about the WWE Network a year, maybe a year and a half ago, and then it never happened. It never came on one of my TV channels. But now you're saying WWE Network. It's not a TV channel. It's something else entirely. Why don't you explain what we're looking at here with the WWE Network? Well, see, here it's a streaming network. So here's like when I say if it works is, is a major deal. If you, if you get on the, the network and you're, you're trying to look at stuff and you see still buffering, um, everyone's going to be annoyed. So, that, that, so we preface everything by saying, you know, it can revolutionize television as we know it if everything rolls out the way it, it, it should. Now, that being said, it's a streaming network, so you can get it on your, your iPhones, your iPads, your tablets, your computers. You can get on all that stuff, and you can get it if you can get the Internet on your TV. So right. I heard that this summer is when they'll start streaming to certain smart TVs. Um, but for now, as you said, all of your devices, Roku, so you can get it on your TV in that way. Um, but 24-7 programming. So they are streaming something um, original or, you know, their, this time slot, this is what you can watch as their live programming, plus the archive of everything. So, you know, the way you can order things on Netflix or Amazon Prime, you can watch on demand or what they're streaming live. And all of their pay-per-views, and this is a major, major issue, a major issue for cable and satellite providers as well, because they make a lot of money off of these pay-per-views, uh, 12 a year, about 50 bucks a piece. And now for $10 a month or $120 a year, yes, I, you know, I'm a math teacher, um, you can get not all of this content alone, but also all 12 of their pay-per-views. And Dish Network has already said they have to re-examine whether they want to keep carrying the pay-per-view events because they're being undercut by the network. Cable companies probably will do the same thing. Yeah, and it, it's, I mean, I, I understand where the cable companies, uh, you know, would be concerned, but this is something where, Look, I know they're making money. I know the WWE is, is making money. I know Vince McMahon is, is one of the richest men on the planet. But it is another thing where the wrestling universe, especially the WWE, uh, takes their, their fans into account. And, you know, if it all works, this is phenomenal. I mean, if you talk about, like you brought up money-wise, not only is it like their live programming, and, and they're going to have different shows that look awesome, least of which is uh, Legends House, where you're going to have Roddy Piper, Hillbilly Jim, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Mean Gene Okerlund, uh, amongst others, all living in the same house together, which looks just great. looks phenomenal. But aside from that, their whole, their whole library is going to be accessible on the network. So, and, and remember, they bought WCW. So you're talking, they bought WCW, they bought ECW. So the idea, and, and I think as far as a wrestling fan, you got to look at that and think, well, not only are you saving money, I mean, you're talking 50 bucks, 60 bucks if you're ordering high definition for your pay-per-views a year. So you're talking right off the bat over 600 bucks that you're, you're going for, for pay-per-views. Um, but also, like wrestling fans, you know, we all go out there and we buy a mess of DVDs over the course of a year. Their whole library is right. going to be accessible. So you've got to figure, look, we all love DVDs. We love the, the packaging, you know, and they group it all together in one spot. So there's a convenience aspect. But you've got to think that most wrestling fans are not going to feel the need to purchase as many DVDs over the course of a year. So you're talking as, as a major wrestling fan, 
you are going to save at least $700 a year getting this network. And if it works, and as we move more and more into the future, and I'm sure as, we're ta- as you're saying, you know, over the summer, smart TVs will be getting it, you know, you just figure that give it five years, everyone's going to have a smart TV. So it, it's this really, if it all works the way it's supposed to, could just revolutionize and change the entire TV industry as we know it. Well, you're talking from the point of view of a major wrestling fan. I'm a, a minor wrestling fan. Um, I, I watch the shows. I get a handful of pay-per-views a year. But the fact is, if you get WrestleMania and one other, you may as well sell out for the network. If, if you can watch it on your big screen TV, then you may as well pay for the network because it's going to be cost effective and you get so much more than just six hours of programming if you get two pay-per-view events. The thing is, WWE is a different creature than a lot of other things. You have these hardcore fans. You have that built-in, well, we have to pay for WrestleMania and whatever other pay-per-views. I wonder what this is going to do for the future of cable TV because who, who follows? Who is the next network to do something like this and say, you know what? You can still tune in to ESPN or MTV. You know, some, those are a couple of the major players now and say, well, maybe we'll charge you monthly. Now, they get a certain amount of money every month from cable companies. It's, you know, five bucks a month for a big network like ESPN. Um, well, what if they start charging 10, maybe even 20, I would say, let's say $10 a month. You grab the casual fan, you grab the hardcore fan, you provide more than you get on uh, your, your cable network. People are going to flee cable even more than they already are. People are fleeing cable now and just giving up their service because they can get Amazon. They can get their shows uh, streaming online. They can rent their DVDs. They can do a lot more than you used to be able to do. So what happens now if a number of the major, major cable networks go to this model? Will people then pay $50 a month for five networks on their computers and give up cable because they're not you know, it's not cost-effective anymore. I think it'll finally give, if, if it evolves the way I could see it evolving, it'll finally give consumers the a la carte right. methodology that they want. You know, right now, I mean, you know, our cable bill, we spend a lot because we watch a lot on, like, HBO. We watch those channels. But I'll tell you, there's got to be 100 stations I don't watch. Right, but, but you, you have to get you them. Have to get them. You, if you pay, if you want MTV there's 20 networks that you're going to get. If you want ESPN, you're going to get, you know, 15 sports networks. Will this mean the death of the smaller networks? If you can go and pay for the ones you want, well, does that mean that we're going to lose some? And I would even say quality networks that I watch on occasion, but I like the History Channel. I like National Geographic. Um, you know, they're the ones that are in your 150 to 200 on your, your cable dial well, are they going to die because people don't need to pay for them anymore? Or do we see something where, like, those go to a similar model or other networks buy buy out, you know, certain TV shows, buy the rights to them? I mean, I, I you know, when you think about it, you know, you and I are both Met fans. You know, what if, like, like an SNY went to a – they'll show Met Games Live. They'll show Sports Night Live. You can see those, a couple other shows. And, and you can get every single Met game in the history of the organization – will be on there, so if at any point in time you want to go back and watch one of those games, you can go back and do that. 
to me as a fan, it's like, oh, yeah, I'd be totally interested. Like, it just, that makes sense, whether it's the SNY or the Yes Network. And you start to look at all these other networks, the Disney Channel, right? you know, stuff like that. I could totally see Disney, with, with the stuff that they have, you know, going into a similar model. And I, I, I if again, and I know I keep saying it, but, you know, if, if February 24th at 11 o'clock rolls around and every wrestling fan on the planet pops on that network and they're watching still buffering, all bets are off at that point. Right. This okay. has to work. Yes. Really but if it work. works, I really think this – I don't think it's, it's, it's too – I don't think we're exaggerating here. I, I, I think we really could be looking at a model, and I think we're looking at something right now, whereas you're talking about it and people are moving away from cable, that – we could see the WWE has gotten themselves ahead of the curve. I, I wonder. I, they're definitely ahead of the curve. And I think that they're going to be a, a trailblazer here. But you mentioned SNY that carries the Mets. And you mentioned Yes Network that carries the Yankees. Here's the thing. Right now, I probably, between those two networks alone, I watch... 80% of my time is on SNY, 20% on Yes, just between those two networks. But if I had to pay $10 a month for each, I'm 100% on SNY. I'm not buying the Yes network. So if we go a la carte, then I wonder, now those two will both survive, but will some of these small, smaller ones fade away? Because if you start, or you know, with the budget smaller because there are less people subscribing, what kind of programming are we going to get? Is reality TV going to take over you know, all of these, like, as if it hasn't enough already. I mean, we, you know, we have enough Duck Dynasty as it is on, on a network that's supposed to be all about arts, <laughs> or at least once was. Um, you know, we have, uh, if, if people are paying only for what they want, then I'm afraid that the few people that want Network X are not going to be able to get it because there's just not enough people and there's not enough money. It's, I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty excited about, you know, what this could be. And, and you know, once the network gets launched and, and we're able to talk about how it looks like, uh, I'm really curious to see how over the, the next couple of years how TV may evolve. It's interesting that you bring up the Duck Dynasty because as we're evolving and we're writing the show notes and everything, so many things, there's been a ton of controversy and scandal in pop culture. And here we got to hit a couple of them. And, uh, not too long after our last show, the major controversy, uh, Duck Dynasty, and uh, I don't watch the show. So as soon as the show came out and it was called Duck Dynasty and I saw a picture of the guys <laughs> in it, I was like, I'm good. I don't need to watch this. But uh, major controversy with uh, the father on Duck Dynasty, uh, not so much with the liking of the homosexuals. No, he made some comments, and apparently he's made comments for a number of years. Um. And he was suspended. You know what? First of all, if you don't know at this point, I'm sure you all do, he made comments disparaging homosexuals and their lifestyle. He was subsequently banned from the network for two weeks and then reinstated, and that punishment did absolutely nothing. Meanwhile, because the network was not filming at the time, they still ran the show, but then a lot of uh, conservatives came to his... Uh, his side, and then a lot of people, uh, you know, who don't agree with his opinions were on the other side, and it became a freedom of speech issue. Now, as far as I'm concerned, A and E is not the government, and they have no obligation to let him voice his opinions 
on their network or in association with their network, and they were perfectly within their rights, he can say what he wants. I don't agree with what he said, but he can say what he wants. This is America. But A, and he does not have to you know, stand by his side. And I think they kind of caved in and didn't do as much as they said they were going to do as far as some kind of uh, punishment. But, you know, that that is what it is. Money is still really going to guide everything here, and Duck Dynasty makes them a lot of money. Yeah, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I, got, I, I thought it got a little silly when people were defending him and saying, doesn't he have the freedom of speech? You know, if I said some of those things at my job, they could fire me. Right, and and that's, the, that's the thing that, like, you know, they kind of, it's not freedom of speech. You know, he, he's, he's employed by, by a network, and if that network deemed uh, his comments to, to not be reflective of, of what they want, uh, they can fire him. It, it's, it has nothing to do, to say it's a freedom of speech issue, it has zero to do with freedom of speech. We all, freedom of speech, we all have it. But none of us have it carte blanche. Right. You can't yell fire in a movie theater. You know, you can't say certain things. Um, you know, you or I could get interviewed in, in a newspaper somewhere and say something. Our job can fire us. So right. I think it got a little bit silly, the freedom of speech angle with the story. Um, and I think the other thing that was silly is that you got to, you know, backwoods, ZZ Top looking hick, and he's he's spouting off ignorant comments. I was not. I don't know why anyone was actually shocked by a not surprised. that scandal. Um, one of the other major scandals that just broke as of late, and I'm curious your thoughts, Todd, on how this could affect uh, Major League Baseball as a whole. And like I said, so many things were hitting all aspects of pop culture, but A Rod continues to keep himself in the news. Suspended suspension. Reduced to 162 games, but this man is not going to go down without a fight. He's going to fight the suspension. He's suing the union as well as Major League Baseball. And the real kicker is even though he's suspended, he is eligible to show up for spring training. Right. This is going to be quite a circus, and, and I would be shocked, but I feel like this is going to linger the entire 2014 baseball season. This isn't going away. Alex Rodriguez uh, is pursuing this. The problem here is we don't know. Everyone has their opinion. And almost across the board, the opinion is this guy used performance-enhancing drugs. But we don't know why his suspension is so long compared to everybody else that's been suspended. Now, I have my opinion on it. He admitted to using performance-enhancing drugs 10 years ago. I know he was never caught, but that's a first offense in my book. And he did things to try to cover up. He bought you know, evidence. He did things to cover his trail. Now, he will claim that Major League Baseball did other things that they shouldn't have done to uh, go after him. But I understand why he might have a longer suspension. The problem here is for Major League Baseball, he shouldn't be able to you know, fight this. It's binding arbitration. It should be over, but he's not letting it go. If he in any way wins, if he comes out on top in any way, it's not just a minor victory for him. It's a major blow because if Major League Baseball somehow loses ground here, it means they did something horribly wrong. I don't see any other way this gets reduced unless Major League Baseball somehow, you know, did something with evidence, with witnesses, and hopefully that doesn't happen. And hopefully this guy just goes away the way Barry Bonds did. He, Barry Bonds was playing much better than A-Rod, and he couldn't get a contract at the end of his career. Hopefully he sits out the season, the Yankees buy him out, he doesn't make any money off of these, you know, uh, milestone home runs. 
and he just goes away. It's, I mean, it's funny because for me, I can't stand Bud Selig, and on his way out, this is going to be like over his head. So I, I'm glad this will taint his legacy on the way out. But I mean, you know, it's funny because like I think it's ridiculous, but I'm actually a little bit excited to see how this all plays itself out over the course of the year. But that's sure. something that is not going to go away. And the thing that's a shame for Major League Baseball, but Major League Baseball has done done it to themselves uh, with the steroid scandal and the PEDs for years. This is going to be what everyone's going to be talking about. The game, the game will be secondary for the bulk of the the 162 game season this year. I think we're gonna we're gonna get a lot of a rod, uh, a lot of controversy, um, and that's going to be the bulk of what a lot of people are going to be talking about. Unless, like you're saying, somehow very early on in this process, a rod decides to drop the suit and take the suspension, or or like slinks away quietly, but. All indications right now are saying that, that he's not going to do that. So another major scandal that we'll continue to follow over the course of, of this year on this show because, you know, it, it's professional sports, it's on TV, it's part of pop culture. And as, as, as we continue with these scandals and as we go through the past decade and we see these young pop icons falling from grace, maybe the most ridiculous fall from grace, Justin Bieber Oh, and on. admittedly, I am not a believer, but Eggate, he eggs his, I mean, you can't make this stuff up, eggs his neighbor's house, which I don't know what kind of eggs he's using, but supposedly $20,000 worth of damage, which is makes it a felony. Police officials searched his house, find, found ecstasy. All of a sudden, Justin Bieber from egging a neighbor's house is facing a ton of trouble this guy's career is dropping like a rock. Well, he's been facing trouble. I mean, you can't go a month without something coming from Justin Bieber. And when you rise like he did, I think just the sense of entitlement, don't you know who I am, it just takes them over. Where the point you think that you can pee in a janitor's bucket or, you know, not get caught with prostitutes or write something ridiculous in the uh, the guest book at the Anne Frank house. I mean, this is all going to come. And that that right there kind of shows how he feels about himself. Because if he's going to write something like, you know, I would hope you would have been a believer, he does not understand his place in the world. Agreed. So, I mean, that's something, you know, out of like the, the other scandals, we might be pursuing them over the course of 2014. I don't know. I mean... <laughs> I can't, I can't. This is the most I've actually ever talked about Justin Bieber in right. in my life. Uh, I kind of, as, as we said about A Rod, I, I would wish he would just go away. So those are, you know, some some of the interesting scandals that have cur- occurred uh, in the pop culture world over the past few months. Uh, what we want to do right now, though, is get to our Facebook poll question. And you know, if you're not on there, tell your friends. You know, get on there. Uh, Facebook, uh, it's TKRS presents Pop Life. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll throw up some poll questions, and obviously we do the show. We want to touch on these poll questions. And interesting, this poll question actually came from, uh, I was talking to a friend who's, who's a filmmaker. And I, he'll remain nameless because I don't want it to come off that I'm, I'm bashing the guy because he actually is very, very good at what he does. So I'll preface that. But interesting, as I'm talking to him, he told me that he had never seen an Indiana Jones or a Star Wars movie in his life. He'd never seen one single so six, ten movies, 
He had not seen one of those movies, and I said, you know, you got to see at least one in each series. And he's not just, you know, you're, he's not just an American, which it, in and of itself you should have seen those movies. But he's a filmmaker, so there's yeah. something going on here. But it led to an interesting question, right? He, yeah, he, I mean, he's, a, he's a, again, he's very good at what he does. He's got a great eye, and, and he, he, he gets work. I mean, he's not just, a, like, he, he does it for a living. He freelances out there. So, But it prompted me to think, well, if I had to recommend three films for a filmmaker that I thought a filmmaker would have to see, what would those three films be? And it was really tough for me because – there's so many movies out there and so many movies that I've loved for different reasons. And, you know, I go back and, like, my favorite Western was The Magnificent Seven uh, in the 80s. I, you know, time, like, I think The Breakfast Club is one of those movies that's, like, timeless that, you know, not a lot of stuff that comes out of the, like, is really 80s, 80s. You can look at it right. as, like, timeless. But that didn't make my three. Some of the other, like, Rocky, uh, special effects-wise, The Matrix, but those didn't make my list either. Um, it was really difficult when I was trying to think for a filmmaker or a film student. Right. The three movies that that someone would would have to see, and uh, I guess I'll go into my three, and then uh, right. you, you hit your three. My three. The first one was was Empire Strikes Back. I just think that the series you have to see a Star Wars movie. I picked Empire because that's my favorite one. I, I love the, the use of color in that movie. Uh, obviously, all those movies, the special effects, are so far ahead of its time that I think that's worth it as a filmmaker. Um, you know, the contrast between Hoff and Dagobah uh, is in Cloud City. The filming of the final uh, lightsaber battle between Luke and Darth, the climactic moment. Uh, you know, if you're the filmmaker, don't listen, because spoiler alert, but the climactic... <laughs> Uh, I am your father moment at the end of the movie, which just debated on playgrounds everywhere. Like, was he lying or was he really telling the truth? And let me just add, the ability to make a number two of a trilogy with a completely unhappy ending and make it successful and make it work. And not only that, like, like to me, it's it's the best one. It's it's the best out of all of them. So, I mean, I think they really nailed it. And it's just one of those few movies that nails special effects, moments, cinematography, and plot. Like, it doesn't shortchange you on the plot. It's just, it's great all around. The other movie that made my list was Schindler's List. Um, partially because it's just the subject matter. I think it's a movie that, that people just should see. Uh, I think it really, it captures an, an emotion. It's gut-wrenching. It is a movie that I've only seen once, and I don't know if I actually can see it again. It just, it, it was that tough. Also, like the use of color in that, how they black and white and the, the subtleties of the color. Uh, to me, one of the most dramatic scenes in history, and it's the subtlety in the scene, is, you know, when you see a little girl in a red jacket, and it's the only color in the shot, and then later on in the movie, you see a pile of bodies, and you see that red jacket. It's just a, it's very powerful the way it was filmed. Great acting, uh, great writing, so a real good movie all around. And on a on a completely different level, Brothers McMullen is is the third one on my list. And I, I this was a movie that really I was thinking a film student. And this is one of those movies that I think you know people should see just you know almost like what you could do with a dollar and a dream. Uh, you know Ed Burns didn't have much of anything. You know got people he was friends with to act in it. Uh, wrote a good script 
and, and did what he could on a really low budget and made a very, very good movie. Great characters, great plot, and it was just a very enjoyable movie. So um, those are the three for me, but it's tough. You know, anyone can pick any other three, and I'd be like, ah, oh, those are good, three good ones too. What do you got for us, Todd? Well, you know, first of all, like you said, three movies, uh, it was tough. But I took the, the question itself to heart. I said, we're looking at what does a filmmaker need to see. And you mentioned the Brothers McMullen. I had a different idea, and it didn't make my cut. But Clerks, talking about what you can do with no that's a money good one. That's a good one. and your friends, you know, and that's a movie that I think film students should see. But it was not in my top three. There were some other movies that were mentioned uh, from our Facebook uh, users, and they're also, if you had more movies to put on a list, or you were talking genre by genre, somebody mentioned West Side Story, and that's a tremendous musical, and if you're going to uh, put one musical on a list as one that every filmmaker should see, that is certainly in the discussion. It didn't make my list, and um, incredibly, none of the Star Wars movies did, um, although I see all the points. <gasps> I guess I get the points that you made, um, and I've got to say, now looking at my three, I do not have any effects-heavy movies, although the first one on my list, and I just went chronologically here, the first one on my list was revolutionary in a lot of ways, um, and it's Citizen Kane. I enjoyed that movie. It is not one of my favorite movies of all time, but I went through a period of time soon after I got my first TiVo uh, 10, 11 years ago, where I was watching everything. I was recording Turner Classic Movies and AMC, you know, just really the history of film. And I understand why people think Citizen Kane is so great, because it was revolutionary in its time with, um, you know, the use of flashbacks, different storytelling, the uh, deep focus, which I didn't even understand until I read about that movie. But if you see that movie and you put it in the context of when it came out, it's something that filmmakers should see. And the second one, and we had someone mention, you know, we had a number of movies mentioned in, in our Facebook poll, uh, including The Godfather, Lawrence of Arabia. Somebody said anything Hitchcock, and I agree. And there's a reason why there are courses taught not just at film school, but at any college about Hitchcock films. It was difficult to pick one, but I knew that there had to be one on that list, and the one I picked was Rear Window. Uh, talk about building suspense, a movie drawing you in, and there were other ones. North by Northwest is great. Rope, um, Rebecca, I, I love Hitchcock movies, but Rear Window is the one for me. And the third one, and this one now is my favorite movie of all time, is Pulp Fiction. And if... Uh, you haven't seen Pulp Fiction and you're a film student, you're missing out on what has really blazed a trail for the past 20 years. And actually, you mentioned the 80s, and it's a movie we've talked about before on this show. If I had to add, if I could expand my list a little bit, Die Hard might be on there for the way that it uh, changed movies. And yippee that would be, Yeah, that's right. Yippee-ki-yay, MFEs. Um, that's a movie that changed... Uh, the way that movies were made, that's a movie that was effect-heavy, but for me it was Pulp Fiction. The different types of storytelling, the, 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 uh, the changes in timeline, the dialogue, uh, and the fact that it, the, the stories themselves are just so compelling. So uh, that's my list right there. And it's funny because, like I said, I can't argue with that. Like, it's one of those things, and when we had some like... We had some great stuff out there on, on uh, 
Facebook. You know, we had uh, our friend Amy Langus Rubin. She said Schindler's List, Life is Beautiful, and Anything Hitchcock. Um, Erica McDaniel, Godfather, Star Wars, West Side Story. So some some interesting uh, choices out there. And and like I'm saying, I can't argue with those choices. I think those are also beneficial uh, for a filmmaker to to see. It's interesting that. Um, as far as lists go, no one actually did mention an Indiana Jones movie, so maybe we let my buddy off the hook for nothing. <laughs> Although I really think you need to see at least Raiders. You got to see Raiders. It's not. I don't know if it's critical to see if you're making a list of three, five, ten. But I mean, come on, these are incredible movies. The first three Indiana Jones movies are are amazing movies. I actually saw a little bit of the fourth one recently and uh not too much more than that little bit. No, don't see any more of it. It was just I, I was don't, so don't plan to. I was so sad. <laughs> cuz I was so looking forward to cuz I think a lot of reboots have been good or like I thought the new Rocky was good. Yep. I, I thought I actually thought the new Rambo was good too. You know, uh when they came back and did another Die Hard, I enjoyed that. So I was like I was really optimistic with them coming back and I it was one of probably the biggest disappointments I've ever had going to a movie. If you if you feel the same way I, and you haven't seen it, I suggest that you seek out the episode of South Park where they talk about the effect that that movie had on these poor little fourth graders. Because uh, <laughs> you you will sympathize, and it was a pretty hilarious episode. Right, we're gonna go. Out, you know, if you got suggestions, you got stuff you want to talk about. You know, three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five is the number to call. We this is like the potpourri episode of Pop Life. We've hit just about every genre of of pop culture, and our buddy Dank is on the line. So let's get him up here. He's been real patient. Dank, how you doing? Good. How you guys? How you gentlemen doing? How are you, Dank? Oh, it's been a while, but. I'm happy you guys are back. Happy New Year to the both of you. Happy New Year to you, man. I don't even know where to start. First of all, I'd like to say, on a, if a coincidence would have it, I'm flipping through the channels, and on AMC, the 89 version of Batman is playing, because the Joker and Jack Nicholson is the Joker popped off. I'm like, oh, what are the chances? What are the odds? Like, that movie um, one of the most quotable movies that's ever, like, I, I, I think when that movie came out, I think I had almost all of the Joker's dialogue memorized after seeing the movie, like, once or twice. Of course, yeah, I mean, the Batman song, which takes a lot of exactly. that dialogue and <laughs> compresses it into three minutes for us. Well, thank you. had some interesting. I mean, you responded on Facebook. You know, you had some, uh, your, your three movies. Why don't you give us a little bit of why you picked those three movies? Um, okay. Um, I picked Citizen Kane just because um, I actually just finished taking a film class a couple semesters ago, and that was we dissected different movies, but Citizen Kane came up very under very different um, topics, like not just uh, how it was directed and how it was shot, but the actors, the scenery, the um, ambiance, like even like scene by scene, there's certain scenes where you just see the main actor with, within one frame of a window, and it's like, how do you break this down? It's like he's feeling trapped. He can't get through. Like just there's so much you can dissect with Citizen Kane that you could spend, you could write a thesis on it and still have 
God knows how much to talk about. And to me, it felt like it was a good movie, for, especially as a, as a solid base to start with. Um, I picked Psycho out of all the Hitchcock movies, not just because it's one of my favorites, uh, Hitchcock, and but again, just like Citizen Kane, so much that can be broken down, so much um, in window, so much like foreshadowing the way that it's filmed and Hitchcock being Hitchcock, you just you can sit here and try and speculate what he meant by a certain scene and you could be right on point or be completely wrong, which makes it for a very interesting movie to learn about. And then Schindler's List, um, I don't know, it just kind of like popped in my head and I, um, it's been a while since I've watched it, but it's definitely one of those movies that to me, it was one of the, like the original, like one of the first movies, not original movies, but one of the first movies that left me thinking, left me really like. It wasn't just like I went to the movies, I had a good time, or I watched this movie on TV, and it was a nice movie. Moving on, I actually sat down and pondered, and I talked over with my mom, and it was one of the movies that really turned me on to wanting to be in the movie industry, which is what I'm actually, ironically, going for now. I'm going to be a film student. So as a, as, as a film student, there's a few movies that I'm hoping we'll be able to sit down, break down, and dissect and talk about. So that's why I took those three. And I come to think of it, none of them are in colors. They're all very much like none of them have special effects. It's just more from the director point of view and the cinematography point of view than about the movie itself. You know, you said the same thing as Ken, where you haven't seen Schindler's List in a while, and I'm right there with you guys. It's a movie that I remember being terrific and not one I want to see again, but we just remember how powerful it was and how good it was. Whereas, you know, Psycho is a movie that I've seen a number of times, um, you know, Citizen Kane a couple of times. And certainly a lot of these other ones on the list, like The Godfather and Star Wars and West Side Story. But, uh, you know, that's just one that is so, so powerful and so moving and has such an effect on you. You might take a long time to sit and think about it, but it's hard to go and revisit the movie itself. Yeah, it's, it's not one of those movies that's, like, easy to watch. But let's face it, any great classic movie is never easy to watch and the the way that I am the more the movie leaves you thinking leaves you wondering the more I've enjoyed it you know you have like those movies that you sit back and you know going into it you're just going to go watch a movie you're going to check out for a couple of hours have some fun and that's it you move on and then there's movies like that um I think there's uh I haven't seen it yet but I hear a lot of uh talking about 12 Years a Slave, The Butler, like all these movies that are coming out now which eventually I sit down and watch that you know you, you just you go in and you looking forward and hoping that it it stop provoking. So but that's just me. Um things you know as you're bringing up Schindler's list and and I wouldn't say it's it's on the same level, but similar. I actually just saw Lone Survivor, and that's a movie where I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was intense. I don't know if I could watch it again. It, it was just that that powerful and that um, 
you know, emotionally gut-wrenching what those four soldiers went through uh, on that day. Uh, I don't know if I could sit through it again. And you're right, like, those are the movies that just kind of grab you. And, you know, years from now, I might look back and remember really being affected by Lone Survivor, but not remembering a lot of the specifics because it just, it's the emotion more than a lot of the specific scenes and, and acting and what have you. It's just the, the emotion it leaves you with. I'm curious, Tank, what are some of the, uh, you know, as you're entering into film school, like what are some of the things uh, they're teaching and studying since we have you on the, the the horn and we're talking about greatest movies of all time? I and mean, what are some of the things you're learning now in film school? Um, well, I'm actually, I'm starting film school in the fall. I just got accepted into the film school. I'm finishing up my associates right now. But um, I have some friends that have gone in, and um, there are the classes that they talk about the movies and the great movies and the directors, but the part of the movie that I'm going into is actually the filmmaking part of the movie to where once I'm finished with the school, I'm going to be able to work on set on movies. And um, ultimately, I'd love to be able to get out of school. And even if I start at the bottom of the ladder, go work for Universal Pictures. That's always been something that I've always wanted to do, always loved to do. And the fact that living down in Orlando, it's something that it's so close. And, you know, it's like at your fingertips and you can almost feel it. And it's like, you know what, no more excuses. Just go get it. Do it. So um, I don't know exactly what, like, movies will be entailed or what all the classes are going to be. But it's something that, as as afraid and as scared as I am, because it's just I'm gonna be 34 years old by the time I start in a class of 19, 20 year olds. I'm like, you know what? I'm here for me. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Generation sucks. So you're you're, you're good. <laughs> or you're, you're, you're they don't get anything. They don't understand anything. It's don't time. Worry. What you got to do now, though, is you got to write. You got to write your clerks or your brothers McMullen because because we'll act cheap. Absolutely. Like, well, <laughs> you got, uh, for um, you, man. I mean, it's, I think it's great you're going for a dream, and you know if you're passionate about it, and you're at Universal Studios is there. I mean, go for it, man. I mean, you you, you you seem like you know you talk about it, you know what you're talking about, you know what a good movie is. Uh, I I'm psyched for you, man. Good luck with everything. No, I appreciate it. Um, if I haven't just, I don't know how many people you have on the line. I wanted to touch base on Gotham that you guys were talking about and wondering how it would be. Um, it, it, I'm hoping, okay, I am, I, I, I don't know if you guys have watched the show yet, Arrow, which is based on the DC Comics Green Arrow, which is on CW. You know, it's funny, I watched. I have some friends that are really into the show. It didn't grab me. I, I watched the first few episodes and kind of fell away from yeah, it. I agree with you. I'm one of those people that I was hooked within two episodes. Absolutely hooked. And this was, believe it or not, uh, even before I realized he was a DC superhero comic, it just like the show itself just grasped me. And then when I realized it was DC Comics... I have the DC Encyclopedia, so I read up on him and everything. I'm hoping that Gotham is going to be along the lines of Green because it could go one of one of two ways. 
they, what they do with Arrow is they have like the little common. Every episode has a new enemy that they fight, and he goes protects the city from whatever. A couple like mid season this past season, they introduced um, Scarecrow, which I was really psyched about. And um, uh, Deadshot, which I was also very happy about because there's still two main DC villains without going to the usual suspects of the Penguin, the Joker, the Riddler. They're like middle of the road, but they're well known enough that they can keep the fan base happy. And it makes it work. And they they were able to make it work. When it first, the show first started, I was afraid he was going to go by the wayside of Birds of Prey, which I don't know if you guys have ever watched. It lasted for about two seasons. It was based on the female superheroes of Gotham City, like the Oracle, the Black Canary. And unfortunately, they never really introduced main villains and so people kind of lost, like, people were waiting for, you know, a Joker or a Penguin or something, and it never happened, and it just lost steam, and it got canceled within a couple of seasons. So I'm hoping Gotham's going to be a lot like Arrow, to where you have your middle-of-the-road villains, but at the same time, throw us a bone once in a while, and throw an episode with the Penguin. Throw an episode with, you know, Riddler, like, something to where we're like, oh, my God. We're going to sit down and watch this episode. So that's what I'm really, really hoping for because I have high hopes for this show. But that's my thing. It's finding that the balance is going to be the biggest thing. I think we kind of hit on it earlier in the show that, you know, I don't want to see them blow their load with the major guys, but you got to bring them in. So hopefully they use some of those secondary secondary villains um, and then sprinkle in the the major villains. But, uh, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic, but... uh, you know, it's tough with these incarnations, because you're right, Birds of Prey was just not good. No, it, it had a lot of potential. And I think, unfortunately, Birds of Prey, if I'm not mistaken, Birds of Prey came out around the same time that Smallville came out. And people obviously were going to be more interested into the backstory of Superman versus the backstory of female superheroes. Plus, um... Uh, sorry, lost my train of thought. Smallville was on the CW, which at the time was up and coming, but it kind of like carried the station. And I don't even remember what channel Birds of Prey was on, just you know to give you an idea of how great that show was. And looking back now, like even the special effects between Birds of Prey and Smallville, Smallville was like Hollywood compared to. Birds of Prey. Um, not, I think Birds of Prey was actually on the WB. I, I think what happened, and I'd have to like look up the, the chronology, but I think the, the success of Smallville kind of led them to think, hey, let's try something else superhero-ish. But I think you're right. Like Part of the problem is that you had like Oracle, uh, Barbara Gordon, in a wheelchair, and everyone who reads comic books knows that she was put in the wheelchair by the Joker. And mm-hmm. so why like at some point can we can we introduce the Joker into the mix? I mean, that's why she's in a wheelchair. So 
you're right. It's like we're, we're waiting to see, you know, those major bad guys, and they just they just kind of drop the ball a lot with with Birds of Prey. But uh, you're right. Hopefully, you know, Gotham City, the Gotham City universe is so rich with characters between the villains and the other hero type characters that come into into play over the course of time. So. You know, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I think you've got to be cautiously optimistic because, like you said, they kind of dropped the ball at Birds of Prey. I think the later seasons of Smallville were weak. You know, and maybe I should have stuck with Arrow because you're saying Arrow is good. But, uh, you know, a lot of times with comic book stuff, uh, you, you find it a little hit or miss as far as uh, television goes. But, uh, dang, thanks a lot, really, for giving us uh, the support and sticking with us. And uh, we'll be back next month. And, uh, you know, as, as you... Keep calling and everything. We want to hear more and more about uh, your journey into filmmaking. I appreciate it, and uh, you know I will. I'm I'm here every Monday with wrestling. I'll be here even if it comes out every Tuesday. I'll be here every Tuesday for this. Thanks. Take it easy, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, take it easy, guys. Oh, that's dang! It was cool, like having so. You know, I, I'm I'm like really intrigued now with like having a a, a fan because we at least have one now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but having someone who's a film student, that's going to be cool. Like what he's studying and right. him calling in, and you know, I'm sure we're we're film buffs, but not film students. And yeah. and I'm sure there's a lot of things that we're not even looking at that he'll be able to to touch on. So that, that's kind of cool that he continues to support us and. Uh, you know, we've reached that point in the year where we're, you know, when it comes to films and TVs and kind of everything we're talking about, just had the Golden Globe Awards. Right. A lot of, uh, you know, great stuff recognized uh, on the Golden Globes. Uh, One of the movies that Dank mentioned, uh, 12 Years a Slave, came away with the uh, best picture drama. That's one of those movies that I certainly want to see and already anticipate not wanting to see ever again. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, it's uh, it, it is. It's Golden Globe season. We have the Oscar nominations coming out in a couple of days. Did you watch the Globes, Ken? I got to be honest. I don't. I don't watch award shows. I, I'm. I'm kind of just. I can't. I, I just. I don't. There's always something that someone wins that everyone's mad about, or someone's very. And it just. It, it gets weird and biased, and and then you know you see the guys that. You know, don't win one year and then they win for like a mediocre performance, and everyone right. says, "Oh, that's kind of a give back award." So I'll check out the results, but I honestly, I, I just can't get into watching. And and to be honest with you, you know, a lot of people, and it's, we should get Dang on the line to ask him, but like, I hate people in theaters nowadays. I don't go to the movies as much anymore because people suck. Right. And and I, I can't, you know, when you like, I'm one of those moviegoers that I need to, like, again, movie buffs. I need to be into the picture. I need everything. Even someone texting next to me, just the light will bother me. Like, I just need everything to be. And, and as soon as someone's having a conversation or, or grabbing their phone or, or doing something, it kind of takes me out of the moment. So a lot of movies like that, I'll wait till they come out on DVD. Uh, the movies I did, I, like I said, I just saw Lone Survivor, but I believe that that wouldn't have been eligible for this past, because it actually opened this weekend, so it would have been eligible. And I did see Gravity, and I thought Gravity was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, a, a, a very different movie, um, but, you know, I can't really comment on uh, Best Motion Picture. Uh, I've heard great things about 12 Years a Slave, uh, but I thought Gravity was great. I, I think the one... 
you know, shocker, I guess. Uh, and I love the show. But... Wait a minute. i, I got to stop you for one second because I, I know where you're going. Before you hit the show, <laughs> Gravity, and you said how you, you don't go to the movies as often anymore. I never get to the movies unless I'm taking my kids and it's, you know, for their movies. Gravity is the one film that I am uh, upset to have missed in the theater to get that experience because I will wait. I will wait to watch on cable, not even renting, but I wait for cable for 12 Years a Slave, uh, Captain Phillips, the Dallas Buyers Club, her. I want to see all of these movies. I, I you know, can't wait to see. Jeez, uh, there's got to be a list of a dozen at this point. Gravity, I'm unhappy that I missed in the theaters. I'm sorry to cut you off. I would love to hear where you're going with this because it's it's crazy. Sometimes the foreign Hollywood foreign press is uh, maybe not quite in line with what American tastes are. Go for it. But I, I, I you know, it's funny that you cut me off. I'm glad you did. It, it was. I'm curious, like if it's going to lose something, like once you see Gravity. I saw it on IMAX in 3D. Uh, I'm jealous. And it it was it was dizzying. It was it was one of those movies that you enjoy. It was it was well done to me. It's it, Sandra Bullock's. It's the, the career performance. I thought she was tremendous. Um, you know, you got dizzy at times. You got nauseous. And even though it was the the vastness of space, you got claustrophobic. There was there was a. It was one of those movies that you got very visceral, emotional, gut wrenching reactions that just. Your body all of a sudden was doing something where you're like, I, I'm like, I feel like I'm in space right now. I feel like I can't breathe, I, you know. And it was in 3D on the IMAX. I mean, you really felt like you were going through uh, that experience. And it wasn't a movie that you know really dissected characters and, and that sort of movie. It was, you know, almost a slice of life. It was this this moment that happened to this astronaut and and how she was was able to to muddle through it and i i just thought you know i, I look at the, the performance that sandra bullock put on almost like tom hanks in uh castaway okay where it's you know how as an actor how do you make it work where it, you're just by yourself that you're acting off yourself and that's robert for a redford chunk again. of the movie robert redford this year and all is lost you know, exactly same kind of thing and i i think that that was probably the finest moment of Tom Hanks' career in Castaway. And uh, talk about award shows, you know, the fact that he didn't win for that performance uh, blows my mind. I, I don't ignore, I ignore a lot of award shows. This is one that I will watch uh, recorded, watch it in about an hour. But the uh, part of the reason I watched was the hosts, uh, big fan of Saturday Night Live, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, and they had one of the best lines of the night, I hope I get this right, talking about gravity, said that it's a story of how George Clooney would rather float away into space than spend another minute with a woman his age. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. And, you know, it's that kind of thing, you know. So I, I will watch it for uh, the banter of only the people I care to hear <laughs> and the accepted speeches of people who I think will be interesting uh, people like who is just outstanding every time I see her, Jennifer Lawrence, always entertaining. Matthew McConaughey gave a good speech. But basically, if I can get through it in an hour, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, and, you know, and it's interesting that you bring up, you know, the hosts of the show, because I, I think probably the biggest shocker of the night, at least in my book, and not watching it, but 
Best Television Series, Comedy or Musical, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, winds up winning. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, that Brooklyn Nine-Nine is better than Modern Family. I, I love Modern Family. To be honest with you, and I know a lot of people are going to be like, oh, my God, I, I don't get Big Bang Theory. I, I don't get what everyone thinks is so brilliantly funny about that show. I, millions of people like it, so I'm willing to accept that I'm wrong. I just don't get it. I love the show. I love it, and I, I can understand how that has won its awards. I think it's brilliant. I caught up on Brooklyn Nine-Nine since our last show. I binge-watched over the uh, hiatus of most of these shows, and I love it as well. But I don't even think it's the funniest show of the night on that network. I think the Mindy Project uh, is, is funnier than Brooklyn Nine-Nine, not to take anything away from it. It's hilarious, but I can't. It blew me away when that won an award, as well as Andy Samberg winning Best Actor in a in a comedy. It something a little off, and it's one of those things I think that once in a while the Hollywood Foreign Press just latches onto something and it's going to win their awards. It's not going to win Emmys, but it'll win a Golden Globe. Yeah, so I'm curious to see where. I mean, this would almost. Because we talked about this show, and we were curious if right. it's going to find its audience. I love that show. I, I, I honestly find Mindy annoying, so I haven't, you know, I, <laughs> I haven't gotten into that show. Um, I love Modern Family. I never was able to get into Park, Parks and Recreation, and, and I'm, I couldn't get into Girls either. So when, when I look at the, the category, I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, it, it's funny. Like, I probably would have picked Modern Family uh, if I was going to vote in that category. I'm happy for Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, you know, it probably really and truly they probably won purely because they had Terry Crews on the show. Of course, Terry <laughs> Crews, he is the glue. I, I love the show. I love Parks and Recreation as well. Um, Louie is a terrific TV show. I don't know how you classify that. It, it really is undefinable, but it's one of the finest shows on television. I love Episodes, which has just come back. I didn't watch the first episode. It's a great show. Of Episodes of the new season. But, uh, if I were to, if this is not nominated, these are shows that will never be nominated for awards. If I could split the vote between two shows and just say this is the H. John Benjamin Award for best two animated shows, Archer and Bob's Burgers. Archer just came back. Bob's Burgers, I think, has taken over uh, Fox's Sunday Night Animation as a funniest show, and I think that they are two of the funniest shows on television. I know that some people write off animation. Bob's Burgers really is a, a traditional sitcom. Archer is something else entirely. But uh, they would get my vote if I had uh, if I had uh, control over the awards. I think those are two terrific shows. But of the ones that are nominated, happy to see Brooklyn Nine Nine win. Happy to see people from Saturday Night Live doing well all, all through the night. Uh, Amy Poehler won as well. We had pre uh, presenters who are really making huge career moves now, Jimmy Fallon and Seth Meyers taking over their new shows. Uh, Saturday Night Live really did uh, dominate the TV side of that night. Yeah, and you can't forget even like Julie Louise Dreyfus. You know, a little right. old school, but she was nominated, didn't win. She's, she's won in the past. Um, but, you know, I love Veep. Veep is, is one of my favorite shows on, on television. So uh, SNL, you know, being strong and you, you know it's funny because i i've gone through phases i don't really watch it regularly you're a guy though that you've you've stuck with snl through the years i mean do, do you yeah. get a little sense of pride like a little good for you guys you're, you're kind of out there doing your thing now oh absolutely to see that andy samberg smile you know that was the unexpected one amy poehler's you know she's won 
different things before, and she's terrific. But yeah, I absolutely love seeing not just the the people that you expect to go on and, and do great things in the movies, Will Ferrell and Mike Myers, but you know the other ones, the minor players. Um, you know, and especially now you have two women from the show who are are in demand. Everybody wants them to host their award shows, and Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. And this year has been, uh, I mean, I've heard it said before, this is the year of the woman on Saturday Night Live. Um, They actually have, for I can't remember how long it's been since uh, they've had the same number of male and female uh, cast members, actual full cast members. And with Seth Meyers leaving, the females will outnumber the males. And they've been outstanding. They've carried the show. I mean, Cecily Strong... Uh, Vanessa Bayer, Kate McKinnon are the three new ones, but everybody's done a very good job. And uh, the big news, uh, coming from a minor scandal a, a month or two ago, but the big news now is that they're adding uh, another featured player, finally, not since Maya Rudolph, if they had one, a female black uh, cast member, a featured player in this case. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I've heard good things about her. I can't say that I know her. Um, you know, it, it's funny. You're, you're right. Minor controversy. People like to make controversies uh, where they're not. But, uh, you know, I do think, you know, it's one of those things. It was a minor controversy. And sometimes in, in Hollywood, most times, I guess, you know, publicity is publicity. Right. And, and with, with what SNL has done on the Golden Globes with uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler hosting Andy Samberg now making some noise. Obviously, Will Ferrell's been out there. The Julius Drivers of the world been out there. Um, you know, this is, this is a good time. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because I don't think SNL has really been in, on the tip of people's tongues, on the forefront of, of pop culture and, and media for, for a while. No, outside and, of and election years. Outside of the election years, yeah. it's not always right there. They're kind of moving in, in, a, in a good direction. I think, you know, if you, like, you bring up Maya Randolph, you know, maybe that was the beginnings of the show kind of evolving, but it, it seems like right now it's, it's, it's moving into the forefront of, of people's thoughts. It's a good time for Saturday Night Live. It is. The show is, you know, I think it's a terrific season. Um, Jay Farrow came on strong, has kind of dropped back a little bit this year, and it was Keenan Thompson, who is the other male black member, who said, I am not going to play any more female characters until we hire an actual female black person to play these characters on the show. And even though it, it stirred up some controversy, I think he made a very good point. And, um, you know, apparently this woman, Sashir Zamata is her name. She uh, was not one of the people who interviewed for the, the role last month, but she was someone who had worked with someone behind the scenes on the show. And uh, I look forward to seeing how her addition, you know, changes the way they can do things. There, If you watch the show now, there are so many... Uh, female-centric sketches because of the strong women on the show. And Taryn Killam, who is the probably uh, out of the white male cast members, you know, far and away uh, the leader, you have these five people that no one can remember. Uh, They hired six new featured players this year. They were all white, five of them were men, and people can't remember who they are. So here's someone who hopefully will make an impression in uh, Sashir Zamata. Looking forward to it. Hopefully they give us uh, some more stuff to to talk about going forward. But uh, Golden Globes, a lot of very well-deserving uh, awards out there. And uh, we're heading into award season, and that's going to give us even more stuff to talk about. Wow. What a show. 
Muse, we hit music, TV, sports, movies, awards, comic books. We kind of we kind of ran the gambit here, but uh, we did it. We got through them. We got through every one of our topics just in time to finish up uh, our first show of 2014. It's been a blast as always. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Just a, a side note. You know, unfortunately, we we just got just came became official. There was a lot of rumors over the course of the week, but uh, WWE legend Mae Young has officially passed away. Um, so our, our thoughts go out to uh, Mae Young's family. Definitely a, a legend in her own right. Very unique performer. She will be sorely missed. So uh, that just became official. Stephanie McMahon tweeted it. So some unfortunate news uh, coming out of the show, but uh, led a great, rich life and definitely a, a major legend and WWE Hall of Famer. So... Uh, Again, our thoughts go out to uh, May Young's family and friends. Uh, tragic loss, but uh, you know it's, it's a shame we had to kind of end on that. But uh, we we hit a lot in this show, and uh, I'm looking forward to where we can go uh, with the show uh, as we evolve through the year in 2014. Absolutely, you know we have some big plans for some uh, theme shows. We will always front of uh, what's happening now. We'll talk about. Uh, you know, we'll catch up with our film student caller. Uh, you know, we're going to do everything we can to be uh, entertaining and at the forefront of pop culture. Yeah, and you guys out there, you know, check out our Facebook. Again, it's TKRS Presents Pop Life. Uh, go on there on the Facebook, you know. there's so. I mean, the cool thing about this show, it really is pop culture. And, and I think for myself and Todd, you know, we, we've always kind of, we, we've dug anything that's... What genre it's coming from? If it's popular, we kind of we we kind of are drawn to it. So you got stuff out there you want us to talk about? You'd like us to to hit some subjects? You got uh, theme ideas? You know we have our own ideas, but you got some ideas you want us to hit? By all means, get on the Facebook page, give us our suggestions. Again, we're gonna we'll continue to have uh, poll questions out there on the Facebook. So uh, you know, get on board. But I'm looking forward to a. Uh, Having a real kick-ass 2014, Todd. All right. Back at you. We're going to have a good time. We're going to put on some great shows for everybody. Good talking to you, and we'll see you again next month, everybody. Yeah, thanks a lot for tuning in and your continued support. And uh, yeah, maybe we, got, we need to give Dank like a, a segment or something like in our, yeah. our view from the film school. Good time tonight. Again, Happy New Year. Hope you all had a safe and happy New Year. We'll see you next month. For Todd, I'm Ken. Thank you all. Good night.